3: Neiman Marcus is a relationship business. It was built as a relationship business with the most loyal and affluent luxury customers, and it still is.
4: People were speculating about a Neiman Marcus bankruptcy long before the coronavirus pandemic actually happened.
3: There was no sign for us of a bankruptcy in the short term because the business itself didn't have a problem. The debt that one carries and that we carried is a heavy burden. In 2020 fiscal, which ends at the end of this month, we were on track to generate more profit and to exceed our plan. But the challenge you have is really when you have to pay 365 million out of the 415 uh, to service the debt, you do find yourself in situations where you can't invest to what the business warrants.
4: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. This week on BOF Live, I sat down with Neiman Marcus CEO Geoffroy Van Remdonk, who has had the interesting challenge of managing not only one of America's largest department stores through the coronavirus pandemic, but also has had to navigate through bankruptcy proceedings under the Chapter 11 process in the US. I spoke to Geoffroy about how the company is managing through this, what Neiman Marcus is likely to look like after the bankruptcy process is over, and his new approach to engaging with customers using what he calls a third channel for retail. Here's Geoffroy Van Ramdonk inside fashion. Uh, Today, I'm thrilled to have with me the CEO of Neiman Marcus, Geoffroy Van Remdonk, who um, has joined the retailer a couple of years ago at a very interesting time. And over the last few months, has been navigating both the coronavirus pandemic and Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I think, um, you know, based on a conversation that Geoffroy and I had Uh, about 10 days ago. There's a lot of learnings and insights that come from having to operate a business with both of those things going on. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Geoffroy, welcome.
3: Hi Imran, great to be with you and to continue the conversation you and I had
4: a week ago. Great. Well, um, I want to kind of dive right in um, and, and, and better understand Chapter Eleven. First of all, I mean, it's something that we see a lot in headlines, especially in recent months. Uh, you know, a lot of retailers have been using uh, the Chapter Eleven bankruptcy process to kind of restructure their businesses, and Neiman Marcus, of course, is no exception to that. But before we start on the bankruptcy specifically, you know, I did want to I did want to talk about you know what it was like when you first joined Neiman Marcus because one of the probably the biggest challenges the company had when you joined is that it was already saddled with quite a bit of debt. And so maybe you could just paint a picture for us of what it's like to manage a business that's also having to kind of meet these debt obligations and how that impacts your ability to both manage the business and to innovate.
3: So the the business I joined two and a half years ago had had uh, so multiple quarters of negative growth, and we focus on stabilizing the business first. And we had uh, eight out of uh, ten quarters of positive growth. And then we looked at investing in the future and really leveraging what this business is, which is a relationship business and a digital business. And when you are, when you have that, um, you basically have. A constraint which we need to service the debt, and I think what it does is it brings a lot of rigor and a lot of uh, determination as to what are your priorities, where do you invest, and how do you make sure that your investment uh, bear fruits. And and we've been able in those years to not only stabilize the business but made significant in improvement in investment in moving the business to be more digital, which we'll have plenty of time to talk about today. The debt is that one carries and that we carried is a heavy burden. And if you look at the business we had uh, pre-COVID-19, we generated in 2019, uh, 415 million of adjusted EBITDA, which is 9% of our sales and, and very healthy and profitable business. In 2020 fiscal, which ends at the end of this month, we were on track to generate more profit and drive profitable and sustainable growth and to exceed our plan. So the challenge you have is really when you have to pay 365 million out of the 415 uh, to service the debt, you do find yourself in situations where you can't invest to what the business warrants. And the the way out of that is what we were doing, which is you drive profitable growth, and every year you have more profit, and you can invest more. But it's a timely uh, process, and it, it it is not in your advantage in an industry that is moving fast. What happened to us is basically when the pandemic uh, happened and when we closed all our stores, it became clear to us that the profit of the year, we're not going to continue at the rate of 415 million. And that in that case, it would become difficult for us to use our cash to maintain operation and also service the debt. And that's where the process of bankruptcy in terms of not solving a business problem but solving a capital structure problem is a path that allows the business uh, to have business continuity and to revive and exit uh, in a different shape so i am very encouraged by this process because it allows us to eliminate 4.2 billion of debt to significantly reduce the future uh, service of the debt and to be uh, when we emerge early fall or late summer the one multi brand retailer that will have the least debt um, in this process also we uh got access to six hundred and seventy five million of additional liquidity, which is really important because we need to fund the business we need to buy the inventory for the holidays ahead of the holidays, and getting additional cash is really uh giving you the certainty that you can deal with the pandemic so not an easy process, but a a, a very defining moment for Neiman Marcus group because both Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf have a bright future with much less debt and a brighter future than they've had before.
4: Right. It's interesting that you position it as, you know, not a fundamental business problem, given that the the business, as you say, was generating you know more than $400 million in, in EBITDA. You know, but people were speculating about A Neiman Marcus bankruptcy long before the coronavirus pandemic actually happened. You know why did why did a bankruptcy not happen before? And what was it specifically about this situation that you know made you and the board realize that you know it was finally time to pull the trigger?
3: So the the speculation. I don't comment on speculation. People love speculation. Um, What what I see is facts, and the fact shows that. The business had declined and over the two and a half years for eight quarters we had positive growth and we had positive profit growth and so that doesn't lead you to think that a business that generates nine percent of adjusted EBITDA and that is growing is anywhere near or close to a bankruptcy and there are many ways which we successfully did a year ago to extend the maturity of your debt and so we had another four years until the debt was due and on the path of growth and growth that we'll talk about from a digital standpoint is growth that you can scale with limited investment. And so there was no sign for us, especially with the extension of the maturity of our debt, of a bankruptcy in the short term because the business itself didn't have a problem. Now, I saw when I joined a lot of business opportunities. And so you and I can talk about growth opportunities, about challenges that I set for the organization, about challenges that I said for myself, but an opportunity is not a problem. It's, it's just the flip side of it. I think what became clear here is, in a moment where we close our stores and where we didn't know when to reopen them, and when we knew that when we reopened them, the economy would be different and the uncertainty attached, we were not going to be able to maintain our business model. Uh, the debt was not going away The 365 million were to be paid and brands need trust. And we are based on trust. If you have a company that is paying uh, all what they earn to debt and using their cash to fund the debt service and not to uh, invest in any CapEx or in just uh, buying and paying for inventory, I think the, they would have been a self-fulfilling prophecy or not having the trust into the business. Um, now, in situations like these um typically companies have advanced notice because they know they have a business problem and they plan their bankruptcy we obviously hadn't planned for this outcome and what's remarkable to me and 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 gives me a lot of confidence in our business is that we were able to get a deal with 75 plus percent of our uh secured creditors to convert some of their debt into equity uh, but not all their debt and there's a belief from all our creditors or the vast majority in a binding agreement that it is in their best interest to own the company uh, and to see it go uh, forward and in exchange they're forfeiting the debt that we are owing them and so there there was a you only have those situations when the debt holders believe that owning the company Will be a better outcome for them than uh, claiming the debt.
4: Mm-hmm. So the fundamentals of the business, you know, two and a half years after your arrival, were strong. You know, the creditors were willing to agree to this deal, mostly to reduce your debt load. Um, but there's also been talk of store closures at new Marcus, even as, as as recently as today. Um, you know again a lot of speculation about what Neiman Marcus post uh, this current crisis looks like but can you give us the kind of uh, you know clearest indication possible of what the store portfolio will look like you know there's been rumors about a closure of the Hudson Yards store you know there's several other stores Walnut Creek Washington DC all of these stores what will happen to the store portfolio even if that wasn't part of you know, the main goal wasn't to kind of radically, um, you know, reduce costs. It was mostly about re- removing debt.
3: So I think we need, if, if you look at what is Neiman Marcus post-pandemic and post-emergence of our Chapter 11, Neiman Marcus is a relationship business. It was built as a relationship business with the most loyal and affluent luxury customers, and it still is. We do 40% of our sales with customers who spend more than 10,000 a year with us. In average, they each spend 50,000 a year with us, and we retain 97 plus percent of those. So we start from a notion of a luxury customer that is loyal to us. That relationship historically and today is often originated in the store, and it's nurtured in the store. Not only in the store, but when you are facing your sales associate, when the alteration specialist is there, That's where the trust gets built and then it continues. Now, what what we're seeing is that that relationship business is the core, but the avenue of growth for us is that we are a digital business. And digital means two things. It means that you can scale at very low cost and it means that you have data that allows you to personalize the interaction and drive more loyalty. And so when I talk about a digital business, We are the largest luxury e-commerce site and platform in North America with 1.4 billion of revenues. We have on neimanmarkers.com 17 million visits a month, and these are pre COVID-19 numbers. So we already have a platform that is digital. And now what we've um, built during the, the, the pandemic and demonstrated to ourselves is that we can create a third channel, which I call sales digital sales uh, sorry digital sales assisted channel which is or sales associates can sell to you when you're not in front of them when you're not in the store and that is fantastic because we can basically scale that relationship that used to be time bound and space bound to the location of the store and the hours open the opening hours of the store to engaging with you and being present in your life at any point of time and so That digital component is very, very important, but it originates in the stores. The second thing of the digital interaction is that I can collect so much more information about you. Every action you have online or every reaction you have from what I suggest to you through a client telling app leaves a fingerprint and I get to know you much better across all categories, all brands, and now I can personalize offers to you or I can reach customers in a much better way. And so the business we're seeing it remains a relationship business, but it's going to be powered by digital and the benefit of digital is going to, to be the data that we can personalize and the economics of that is very attractive. Now, the question on the stores then says, what, where do the store fit in this? Well, they fit at the center of the equation because I started the, the, the answer by the relationship is more often building the store. And if it's not built in the store, it's nurtured in the store when you go to uh, do alteration, when you go to the restaurant in the store. So we see stores very important and a cornerstone of our future. Pre-COVID-19, all our stores that were open for more than a year were profitable. Right now, what we're doing is looking at our footprint and maximizing the footprint in a way that maximize the relationship so how many stores what stores do we need so that we can have the best relationship and nurture them in the most uh, sustainable way and then we're looking at our network and basically saying how do we optimize for profitability in a digital world and post COVID-19 and we're having a lot of conversation with landlords as to what should be the terms of or rent and obligations go forward and that's really an assessment we're making right now. There's no decision as to what stores we will close that have been made. There's also, in um, what, what you're referring with some of those stores, stores that have value from a uh, real estate standpoint. The rent is lower than the market rent. And we need to see if we're best to operate the store or if we are best to sell the store and would make tremendous uh, value for shareholders and our lenders by selling the lease of the store, and then we can still operate the store or or, or not. And so there's a broad review right now, which is under consideration, there's no decision made. There will be some store closing because the world doesn't require as many stores or there will be stores that may be shrunk in their footprint in their size, Uh, but it is uh, not a massive part of what we're doing. It's a single digit number of stores. And it's it's very surgical.
4: So you have, I think, forty-three Neiman yes. Marcus stores. So you're saying less than ten of those stores um, will be closed after this process. But <laughs> uh,
3: are in consideration, and then the number of stores that will close is really um, a matter of what we are able to do from a, 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 an economical standpoint. Because I I want stores that uh, play a key role in relationships and so that are going to be profitable. And that I know I can maintain to the level of standard and engagement, the customers and the brands need.
4: So in order for that to happen, can you, you know, along the dimensions of location, um, you know, arrangements with the, the lease and, and the and, and, uh, landlord and profitability, You know, what is it amongst those three factors that helps create like the perfect store in this Neiman Marcus of the future?
3: I think the perfect store for me is the store. We we assess our stores based on different elements, but there's three elements that are really important to us Um, from a customer standpoint, and there's elements from a brand standpoint. From a customer standpoint is what is the quality of the customer base we have? And quality in a sense of Do we have loyal customers that have a lifetime value that is attractive? And some stores have a lot of those, some stores have a little less. The second thing is what's the quality of the relationship we have with those customers? How many of those are in relationship with our sales associates? And that determines that they're valuable, but they're also deeply committed to us at the individual level. And then the the third one is how much of those customers are digital how much do they engage with us in the stores but also through our connect app through um following us on instagram or through uh navigating or, or buying from from the internet and when you have a store that has a lot of customers with a high potential of lifetime value that are deeply engaged with our customers and are very uh digital then that store has tremendous value and we need to maximize the economics of that store at the store level. But we also know that we create value outside of the store when the customer engages with us outside of the store. And so that, that, that's really the way we look at it. And then we also look at what's the value of this store for the brands. And there's some geographies where we have multiple stores in one city, which would say maybe less stores could achieve the same relationship because we know there's transference to other stores when we do that. And where brands have a lot of stores and therefore having an additional store when the brands are already well represented with us and by themselves is not as as valuable to them. And then there's other cities where the brands are not very well represented. We capture all the right audience there and it is a service to the brands to keep that store open. So it it is a multifaceted equation. Um, We do know in markets where we have multiple stores that we can calculate that the transference to the existing stores will be high and the profitability of that uh, move will be very profitable. And then there's markets that we, we don't want to leave because they're very valuable markets. And the presence in stores means you have a digital presence as well.
4: But you can't confirm which those markets are today. You're not able to. We,
3: we,
4: we can't, um,
3: and frankly, for two reasons. One is we are in negotiations with landlords and those negotiations are, 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 are confidential. But also you never know until the end uh, and therefore rumors are the worst thing that can happen for sales associates because given that the number is a finite number, I don't want all our teams to think that there is something happening while it is actually by by exception and we believe that there is an opportunity for us to um, negotiate with landlords something that is attractive to them and attractive to us that maximizes the number of stores. I think that there was a moment in time where we, the industry thought stores are over. And what I'm telling the industry is that when you're in a relationship business, that is the core of your business because a human interaction is so much stronger. And then the growth opportunity is to take that human interaction that starts in a store and make it live 24 seven, regardless of where your customer is in a digital fashion. But for me, I know that if tomorrow I move and I have zero stores, the strength of the relationship I will have will be diminished. And, and that is what, what we provide to the brands is access to customers that they can't access themselves.
4: It's interesting to think about stores as an acquisition channel you know, for digital, because I think previously, I think people saw that relationship as reverse, which is oh, I might find someone uh, through my website and then kind of convince them to come into the store. Um, the other, the other element I, on the bankruptcy, that I just wanted to touch before we look at the kind of you know new business model is around the the brands themselves. So you know when you have these big brands like Chanel and Gucci and Dolce and Gabbana and others that have been listed as some of the creditors owed most money. I mean, how do you convince them? to keep sending you product when, when this whole situation of uncertainty is going on and when you still owe them money and all of that stuff is happening?
3: I, I will start by saying that it, it is probably the most painful part or one of the most painful part of this process is that the process is court-regulated. There's regulation as to what and how much we can pay of prepetition claims. And when you are in a trusted relationship business and you owe something to a brand partners who is loyal to you and you're loyal with uh, too, it, it is a very uncomfortable situation. So it's been very difficult to be in that situation on our side and very unpleasant for the brands. I think what the conversation have been with the brands is that we, are, we have a critical vendor program that allows us for specific brands to pay some of the pre-petition claims and alleviate the burden on them. The good news is that we were paying on very short terms for the brands. And so most of the brands have less than 10% of the annual business that they did with us that was owed. And in a moment where they're looking at us as an avenue of growth, as a a key partner, and most of the high end luxury brands have us as their prime uh, retail partner, the prospect of us being successful with them in the future is really what enhances the value creation for everyone. And there is um, an unfortunate cost and we are trying to minimize that cost for them. But I think they're all looking at over the next three years, can I access a customer that I didn't know? Can I make my brand more resonant with the North American luxury customer? And how much can Neiman Marcus help me with that? And how much business and profit can I generate from that relationship? And what we've seen is that we have undoubtedly receive support from every large group and every uh, brand and and we are paying a lot of attention to be supportive to their needs as well because the brands have different needs including flowing the goods they didn't all were not all able to produce the goods they were wanting they are asking for flexibility on the shipping windows and i think what when i talk about a relationship business it's relationship with the customers but it's a relationship with the brands and i think we are doing our utmost in a moment like this to guarantee them that there's a path of growth with us and to be as, as flexible with their needs.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last thing on the bankruptcy is, you know, can you just map out for everyone what happens from here on in until kind of you're out of this slight limbo state where people aren't 100% sure what's gonna happen?
3: But the, the process is quite determined in a sense that we came in this process with, as I mentioned, more than 75% of the binding agreement with the secured creditor. So we, and we have financing for the, of $675 million for the bankruptcy and a binding commitment to get $750 million at emergence. So emergence is happening uh, and the business will continue. Um, what's still uh, fluctuating is the pace at which it, we will emerge. We filed on May 7th, we committed that 45 days later, we would, uh, or we would um, submit, actually 60 days or 75 days later, we were going to submit our restructuring plan, which is called a, a disclosure statement. And that's this Friday. And Friday we are submitting our disclosure plan, which explains how we're going to settle all the financial claims that are still outstanding. And then we have a month to solicit support and solicit the issues that needs to be resolved that were not addressed in the plan and our confirmation hearing is scheduled on uh, august 30th and so if everything goes as planned and the issues get resolved then the judge approves the, the 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 deal and we move to emergence in the first part of september and if we don't resolve everything then either the judge had lost for a little bit more time or the judge makes their own decision on the Uh, matters that are not resolved and we emerge either early september or a little later uh in the not the late summer but the early fall and so that's really what's going to happen and this is court regulated the the court has stated that he doesn't want to slow down the process that he is committed to business continuity and he's committed to fair outcome and and so we are all uh, parties negotiating the things that need to be negotiated we talked about landlord conversation and others and then the judge ultimately uh, will, will make decisions so that we can emerge uh, in, in due time to, to be then a very agile business, which I along or 14,000 employees are looking forward because when you have 4.2 billion debt less and when you end up with less than 1.3 billion in debt, uh, we will be the best poised to, to revive growth.
4: It's really a game changer. So what's your confidence level that this will all be done by August, August 30th? Do you have a sense of confidence that you can convey? So, so you know,
3: it, I'd be presumptuous to have too much sense of confidence because it would show that I have too much control. The judge ultimately is the one who's going to pace this so that everything we do is fair for all the parties involved. What I can tell you where my confidence is, is that we've committed to a series of milestones, uh, submitting a first day motion, submitting uh, uh, the dip financing, and we've done all part, and on the 17th, we're submitting our plan. And the judge has, in every single case, uh, basically made a decision and allowed us to move forward. And so if history repeats itself, we are on track for doing that, but the judge is the one who's going to um, ultimately pace this to the right outcome. He's clearly expressed that business continuity and getting the business out of the process is a priority for him. Um, So my level of confidence is, is really high. And I sleep well at night. There's other elements that keep me up at night, and they're more about the excitement the thrill of the growth we can have and the daunting task to transform our business. But the exciting times, uh, this doesn't keep me up at night.
0: Okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass?
2: and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrowcom ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom ACAST.
1: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. Luxury Beyond Limits, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
4: Well, let's move on to that now, because if if managing the bankruptcy itself wasn't enough, you've also been managing a business in the midst of this pandemic. And as you say, business continuity at a time like this, while you're going through such a process is absolutely critical. But your business continuity plans were, you know, somewhat limited by the pandemic and the closures of all the stores and, you know, but it's also been a great time of learning for you Geoffroy. And I think I I was so curious when we had the, you know, our last brief conversation to hear about this third channel that you mentioned earlier, which is, you know, I think people have been talking about omni channel and omni means many, but most of the time people were talking about, you know, digital or physical, but this third channel, that you've you've been focusing on with the with the Connect app. Talk to us a little bit about how you know how you activated that, you know, what you've learned and why you're so bullish on this as kind of part of the future business model for Niemans going forward.
3: So the the Connect app, which is either NM Connect or, or BG Connect, is the center, but not all of what I call sales assisted channel. And so if I go back in history the business was a store business, and all the relationship was with a customer uh, and a sales associate, but it was linked to the location. It was constrained that when the store was not open, when you were traveling, you couldn't have that beautiful relationship. Then 20 years ago, we went online and we one of the first to de- develop e-commerce, which had all the benefit of you can shop anytime, you can shop any SKUs that we have in our warehouse from anywhere, but it's a self-serve model. and both models have coexisted and for a longer time we've talked about omnichannel and some of us in prior lives would have said or i've been guilty of that uh, many years ago saying i really need to have all my online customers shop in the store because then they become more valuable and then one day i woke up and said well that's the most presumptuous way of dictating how you're going to grow you grow by making yourself available to the customer wherever and however they want and you basically need to create solutions for them. And so the solution we're creating is basically saying, we are going to create a relationship with you. It's a human relationship. And then you're going to um, exercise and activate that relationship, either only online if you're an online customer only. Um, but then that's a digital sales assistant, and you don't need now to just do that as a, as a self-serve or, when you come to the store, we're going to give you the ability to connect with us, um, no pun intended on on the name of the the application, 24 seven and continue the the relationship. And this tool required a lot of back end investment to have a single view of the customer, to have data intelligence. So we invested a lot in my first year. In the second year, we developed the app, which is made of some things that are uh, in the industry and custom made that we developed ourselves because there's no leading edge uh, Tool like this. And, and we launched the app literally in two weeks at the beginning of the pandemic. And the plan was Was to, that
4: always the plan?
3: Well, it was the plan to launch it to 50 people for a month, then to launch it over five months to 5,000 employees. And when we closed the stores, we basically said, Well, we have one solution, which is to accelerate, and we launched it to 3,500 NM Associates in one week. Then we went to the rest of the associates over the next two weeks. And so I learned a lot about, um, I thought we were ambitious to do this over five months. You can shrink it. I don't recommend you to do that at that pace, but I learned a lot and the team and the organization learned a lot about the pace at which you can do things. The amazing thing here is this tool fundamentally changed the interaction because it's a client telling tool and we've had, or 3,500 of our sales associates have used it, and we've had 1.3 million of interactions with customers. And it's, it's literally interacting with you, but then the special elements of that tool is that the sales associate gets a lot of intelligence. It basically tells the sales associate, this is the moment to call and engage with that customer. This is what I would recommend you recommend to that sales associate. And so that's the intelligence that we didn't have
4: Is before. that powered by some kind of AI? It's powered by AI. It's,
3: um, I think it's in, in, in its in fancy and it's version 1.0, but it is very geared towards when is the right moment and what a customer has propensity to buy and what should you recommend based on what they've bought recently or what lookalike are buying. And then we have a lot of styling capabilities. And so we can actually put outfits together in a very creative way, as opposed to sending you by WhatsApp four pieces of clothing. And the customer has seamless ways to connect with us. And at the end of the day, the customer can say, I want it. And the sales associate can ring the sale from their phone, wherever they are. And so it's a client but it's also an e-commerce tool. And it's a closed-loop tool because the more, it's like Netflix, the more you look at things and you say, I like, I don't like, the more you buy. Um, and soon, the more we can read the tenor of the text, the more we know you and the more we can predict better for you. And then the more we can look at lookalikes. And so this channel represented 20% of our sales during the pandemic. And that's the sales that we registered then there, but the one3 uh million interactions led to many other sales that ultimately happened in the store so there's one interaction that is quite unusual in a sense because of the category we had a sales associate in florida in california who was in in connection with uh, one of her clients and they were checking on them then they basically realized that the couple had a, a 20th anniversary it led to talk about jewelry it led to introduce a seven Uh, diamond a seven carat flawless diamond and ultimately to the sale of that diamond during the confinement and so if you think of it and the the value of the diamond uh, well we uh, more than half a million Uh, and so if you think of this tool is not about selling it's about engaging with you it's about assisting you in a digital way it's about being there and present at the moment that matters for you but then when the mat- moment matters and you have an anniversary, we actually can deliver uh, and obviously there's been many more sales on the beauty front or the shoe front, one, but even in our most um, elevated offering or more complex and emotional purchases, the tool functions and to me that's the future it's this ability to be there in your life at all times so that I know exactly where you are in your mind and I can then Meet your needs and desire.
4: Yeah, I mean, we've all been hearing about you know sales associates using messaging apps like you know WhatsApp to engage with their clients. And I understand from what you've said what this tool is like for the sales associate. So it helps you make recommendations and it helps you um, know when to contact a customer. But on the customer side, is it you know what's the interface? You know, is it is it a text messaging style interface? I mean, how does is it inside the existing Neiman Marcus app? How, how does a customer engage with the sales, sales associate?
3: So the tool is it, it's in its iteration. I think the tool has made great progress on the sales associate side. It is uh, very flexible on the customer side because it can be uh, a text, it can be a WhatsApp, it can be an email, and it can be an interaction through our website. We can interact by putting a card for you or you can put things in the cart and then send it to your sales associate. So it has different functionality. Ultimately, where it will reside um, in the most branded way is when we relaunch our app at Neiman Marcus um, in uh, the beginning of 2021. And when we incorporated with the app we relaunched last February for Bergdorf Goodman. That's where it will be the most branded. Right now, it's very branded in the interaction we have when it's online. And then it it exists uh, through email or or text or WhatsApp. The difference from um, not having the tool is that it is a closed environment. So we capture the information of all the interaction. If it is online, the customer has views of all the inventory. And if it is through text, the sales associate on the app has viewed and access to all the inventory. And so we can text each other. But then I can basically say the sweater you're wearing is available and I'm going to have it shipped to you. And I'm actually selling and pulling it out right now from this store in, in California. And so the, the fact that it resides in one place makes it highly, highly efficient. And then the styling um, is is great because the styling is basically, the sales associate gets styling recommendations. So they don't need to do a styling themselves, but they can build a style as well. And they can send a style and that appears in a in a format that is just not just jpeg 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 um, now the tool will evolve and look different i think the app is really where we want to drive the frequency from the customer standpoint so that the customer engage with us and we don't necessarily always are the one who engage um, but it is a, a total new way of doing it is also a new way for us to look at our population of sales associates for the last two years we had 60 digital stylists, so they were. they personal shoppers selling online and they were doing each more than a million we now have 5,000 digital stylists that sell to store customers when they're not in the store but also that sells to online customers and we know allocating our best customers online to sales associate and giving them the choice to have a digital stylist and so we fundamentally changing the nature of the job of our associates they're no longer people in the store serving traffic they're Relationship managers that serve the customer wherever the customer is, and for some of them, the majority of their customers may migrate online or in digital uh, selling and will do whatever the customer wants
4: mm-hmm. so you said earlier that three percent of your customers drive about four pre- pre-pandemic three percent of your customers drive about forty percent of your sales how and and, or, and that there's a very limited group of people spending over ten thousand uh, dollars per year with you you know in terms of measuring the effectiveness of this of this tool because i'm assuming a lot of the interactions are with these kind of vip clients how much of that revenue have you managed to preserve
3: well significantly because when you look at when you look at and, and we're reporting our or our, our results next week so i'm I'm a little in what i can say but yeah when you look at the stores that are open right now for appointment, they do more than half of the business they did before uh, last year. And that's literally with one um, tenth of the traffic because it's by appointment. So what we're seeing is that in a physical environment, we can make appointment and have customers come to the store and and just uh, rely on customers that either reach out to us or that we reach out to. And that's the strength of the relationship. What we also see is that the stores, when they were closed, did a third of the business that I just mentioned that when they open for tr- for appointment. And so even when the stores were closed, we were able to do a significant amount of sales from our sales associate, either uh, through the old way of calling or through the new app. And, and that's to me what, what is critical in the future of our business and why I call it a relationship business is. We are all focused on customers who have a lifetime value with us. We're not focused on driving traffic. We're not focused on driving, um, gaining market share. Obviously, we like market share. We like traffic, but it's not the goal. The goal is finding the customers who we can migrate to be loyal to us and spend a lot to us because that's the value we bring to the brands. When I have a customer who spends 30000 with us, they have appetite for many brands. And I can do the service that I aim to do for the brands, which is basically introduce them to very qualified luxury customers who don't uh, shop with them today. And when I have a customer who spends 30000 with us, I get to know luxury customers from every brand, every category. And that insight I can now share with the brands. And I can also target customers. What's the customer who is most likely to buy Louboutin who's not buying Louboutin shoes today. I have that wealth of data and I can do micro-targeting for the brand so that they expand the reach of their brand to new customers. And when I talk about being a luxury customer platform, it's offering that type of service to the brands. I can only do that if I know the customer. Otherwise, I have customers who buy one time and I can connect a brand with a one-time customer there's no value added in that. It's not a sustainable model. Um, so, so that's really why everything that is relationship is critical to us. And that digital sales assisted has economics that are incredible. Existing customers have no cost of acquisition, and digital can scale exponentially.
4: So, but let's talk about acquisition because clearly, you know, a lot of the business that you've been able to do has been built on existing relationships, maybe long-standing relationships. With customers, and earlier we were talking about the stores as a channel to acquire new customers. So there's two parts to my question. First is with these kind of open and closed, like the, the, the uncertainty around you know further closures and lockdowns, you know, in Texas and in California and Florida. Um, how do you manage to use the stores if they're they're not open? And number two, um, you know, Neiman Marcus has you know traditionally had this kind of reputation of being a slightly fusty retailer that caters to an older client when we know that a lot of the growth in the market is being driven by millennials and Gen Z. So like, how are you going to use those stores to acquire new customers if A, a lot of the stores are closed and there's a lot of uncertainty around them for the next six, 12 months, and B, some of the customers you want to attract maybe aren't even interested in going into Neiman Marcus?
3: So there's a misconception that we have an older customer. 48% of our customers are millennials or Gen X. And so we have a customer that spans across all the the, the generations. My my view of obviously nurturing the customer you have is important, but customers do age. So we need constantly to have new customers, and we need to make sure that the representation of the younger generation I'm very focused on the to build relationship and so the, this tool allows us to do that. but we also have a platform online that attracts 17 million visits a month, visitors a month and that has a, a perfect location to attract customers and once we have a revived app that has many more functionalities, there'll be a place for, for that uh, group of customers, digital or not, to interact with us and increase their frequency of engagement. We are very focused in, you're talking about the challenges we face right now, which is the stores may not be open, customers may not want to go to, to the stores, and we are addressing this with our fall campaign. Our fall campaign is called Your Neemans, and that's for the Neiman Marcus brand. And it's basically highlighting, and it's a homegrown campaign, shot with our associates, shot with their testimonials, that shows the breadth of service we can offer. And it's not omni-channel. It goes from the traditional store visit, the appointment visit, or the traditional online sales. But as the curbside, there's the service we offer in-store. There's the return you can or the pickup you can have in stores. There are all the uh, choices. If you're online, you can be matched to a sales associate. If you, and we will reach out to you. There's the reach out we have for customers who shop with us for more sales associates to basically engage with them while the store is not open and that goes beyond their best customers because the tool is very friendly for every type of customer and so your neemans is really or outreach to customer to really stand and say we are there in the way you want to engage with us and we have a breadth of ability for you to engage curbside is something we did out of necessity it works does that really work curbside well, It was for me a service, especially for people who are in confinement and who are stuck home. Driving 20 minutes to pick up something is, at that time was creating a moment of pleasure. It does work and it actually works very well with the sales assisted model. We had a sale of jewelry at Bergdorf Goodman where the sales associate had dreamt of something in March and the relationship kept going and ultimately, sorry, I said the sales associate, the customer had dropped. Yeah. And ultimately, the customer decided to buy the product. And as soon as Bergdorf reopened, there was a curbside pickup and transaction where the sales associate and the customer met and exchanged a very valuable piece of jewelry. And this could have been delivered, but the interaction was so strong that the person wanted to get it from the sales associate. They wanted to really have an air hug and really have that connection and so for me what i'm realizing is that we are in a new world i would never have guessed and i would have said that story will not happen i will bet money that no one will come and do that but it is happening and so we are out there to our customers saying write the history with us we know the world is different we know you've learned to engage with us different let's not be predicative and limiting ourselves Let's be your Neemans. And frankly, if there is a way to engage that you we haven't thought, let us know. And we will figure out. We had home visits in the past. There's new ways we can, we can do things. And so I think for me, we are going to capture new customers. We are going to gain more share of our customers because we are fundamentally there to meet your needs. And we have many tools, having many brands, many categories, and all the channels available to you. And most importantly, we have five thousand people in our stores who are there to know you and they can service however you want
4: it. Mm-hmm. i mean it's it sounds like the department store of the future, which a lot of people have been you know making you know their own predictions about i mean in your your view of the department store of the future is this relationship business, it's not anymore about having everything under one floor. but with with that in mind, you know. I am curious because there's been so much um, conversation about department store consolidation. I mean, what do you see, you know, obviously a lot of people have talked about Saks buying Neiman's or Neiman's merging with Saks or Neiman's buying Saks. I mean, there's been all sorts of, you know, what do you see if, if that's the department store of the future, if, you know, if physical stores are only necessary if they meet the criteria you told us about earlier, if so much of the business can be driven through this like third channel and also, you know, leveraging the website, you know, what happens to the kind of department store landscape in the US and what kind of consolidation might we see in the coming years?
3: So I, I can't predict what happens to others. I I am not defining us as a department store. I think we are the, what, what you've well described, we are this platform for customers to interact with um, personal advice, curation uh, at their leisure with, with the help of, of human beings to access the best luxury brands and with a partner to the brands to give them insights and to micro-target the customers that can expand their brand and their reach. That to me doesn't look like a department store and it's I, I call it like a platform. I don't know if others will get there. What I do know is we have the largest e-commerce luxury platform in North America. We have the strongest relationship with the customers where we have this group of loyal customers and we've become uh, digital for many, many years and we know advancing it and leapfrogging there. I don't think that consolidation uh, is required for us to be successful. I I do believe there's some economies of scale in there, but frankly, agility uh, is very important. And I look at the assets we have, the relationship with the brand, the customers, and the digital ecosystem, and I want to accelerate that, especially given that post-pandemic will be the one who will have, by far, the least debt and the most financial agility. Uh, And I'm not sure that the consolidation and the economies of scale would compensate for agility. Now... Once we have made our own progress and once we see where others are, maybe in a midterm that may make sense. But I think right now we have so much to go do by ourselves and we see so many green shoots that I think consolidation would probably slow us down in that process.
4: Okay. One last question because I've already gone over my limit, but I'm just keen to get this one last question in, which is... um, my Teresa, you know, profitable e-commerce player. Neiman Marcus acquired it a few years ago. There was talk about it being a potential international channel for Neiman Marcus. Um, but, but as part of this process, you know, you know, My Teresa is not like it kind of been in, in a, put into a kind of separate category, separate from these proceedings. What does that mean for the future of My Teresa and Neiman Marcus? Is, is that is it? it is it an eventuality that, you know, Maitreza gets sold to the highest bidder and these two businesses go their separate ways?
3: So my theories are separate from the entities that file through bankrupt- bankruptcy because they had same ownership, but not same debt. And so my theories are currently resides at the holding company that didn't file for, for bankruptcy and operates business as usual. And... Will will continue on the same path of of business, and eventually could be sold, could be IPO, whatever strategic option will will be relevant, and 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 that's that's really the course of action. And then there's some um, elements of that relationship that are being discussed through the bankruptcy. But the my theory is that business is not part of this process.
4: So the future for Matriz is still. Answer, with, with regards to the well, relationship well, with Neiman Marcus or, or are you definitely going to pursue some of those strategic options that you mentioned?
3: Well, the, the, what's interesting to look at is Neiman Marcus Group has, at the Inc. level, not the entity that filed, had multiple entities. And some of them were the entity that filed that had Berghoff and Lascaux and Neiman Marcus. But every business has been run separately, independently. The business in North America have some shared services in terms of warehouses and IT support. My theory is that has always operated on its own with its own branding, its own team. And so really nothing changes there. They will be owned by the same owner. That owner uh, will no longer own this company. And and I think the the, the relationship between Neiman and Bergdorf was a sister company and, and that that will not be the case, but it sure. it really doesn't impact the bright future for for my Theresa.
4: Okay. Well, Geoffroy, thank you for that. I personally took a lot away from that because I think, as I said at the beginning, the whole chapter eleven thing is kind of understood at a very superficial level. I think, but you know, the amount of work you need to do to work with the creditors and the brands and you know keep the business going is uh it's a lot especially in the midst of a global pandemic um and you know i think the the idea of this third channel you know based on the conversation i've had with you but also other retailers it seems like there is a completely different way for retail to to happen in the future
3: there, there is and you know you i i don't wish on anyone to have a pandemic none of us plan for this it, it has been unprecedented. And if you layer on top of that uh, social unrest in the US and uh, 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 chapter 11, it's been probably the most busy times for a leadership team, the most draining time. But it's also a moment where when you are in a crisis, when things are changing, it gives you the impetus to make the, a difference. It forces you to make a difference and the ability of our team to embrace change and our customers to embrace change has allowed us to leapfrog. And so I actually think that we didn't wish this, but we now need to realize that the the business is different and it presents itself with wonderful opportunities because the customer wants something else. And the question for all of us is going to be, who can be agile enough to go capture those opportunities and who can flawlessly execute? And we're seeing across the brands, brands that are moving into very innovative ways to present their product, to reach out to customers, to develop their their collections. And I think that's going to be the brands that are going to succeed better than others. And those that are not necessarily taking this opportunity to change how they function, I think that will be a miss uh, and reflected in in, in their uh, success in the future. So for me, it's painful but it's a one time opportunity to leapfrog, and the the disruption we've had has only given one choice but to leapfrog yeah. uh, and, and, and to make sure that not only would we go through the chapter eleven and emerge, uh, but most importantly that when we emerge, we pose for success and that we have the team with us that is all motivated and able to to drive those changes and we continue to invest in the version of the version two of M-Connect and invest capital during the pandemic, because we do know that that is uh, the way to accelerate. Okay.
4: Well, thank you for your time today, Foi. Thank you to everyone for joining us for the latest episode of VOF Live. Uh, we hope you'll keep tuning in. Check out next week's calendar available on businessoffashion.com slash events. I bid you a good day, Geoffroy, and thank you everyone for joining us.
3: Thank you, everyone.
4: Thank you, Abraham. Bye. 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 If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.
2: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bof, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com bof to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bof.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?